Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, how to craft an amazing speech or presentation. It's a rebroadcast of my appearance on Kim Ritberg's podcast, The Exit Interview, which you really wanna be listening to, especially if you're self-employed and wanna know how to grow your business while still having a life. Kim is a friend and a client and a dynamo who helps professionals become thought leaders through video and is an award-winning digital marketer who has skyrocketed her own business through public speaking, sharing her secrets to creating social video that gets noticed. And it's been a joy to watch her on bigger and bigger stages over the past few years. So please be sure to check the show notes for both Kim's previous appearance on Camera Ready and Able, as well as the link for how you can work with Kim. Enjoy how to craft an amazing speech or presentation. I met our guest, Barbara Barna Abel, years ago, maybe 10, maybe 15 years ago in New York City, where we both live. I, at that point, was a TV news producer, but I was interested in being on camera. So I had already been writing, interviewing, directing, all of that, but I was interested in going on camera more. So I worked with her back then. I did end up doing some on-camera reporting many, many, many years ago. And every once in a while, I would do some on-camera work, but I loved, really loved being behind the scenes and eventually being the boss. (laughs) So I was coached by her back then. And in the past year, I've been doing a lot of speeches, workshops, keynotes. It's been so fun, so incredible about fighting fear, about being comfortable on camera, about growing your business with video and podcasts. And as a part of that, I absolutely want to work with a coach in the same way that my clients lean on me to help them to be more confident on camera, to come up with a great marketing strategy, and then to execute that. I too have a coach. I love working with Barbara. Uh, It's been really fruitful. My speeches have been fantastic. I've been brought into many more, so they must be going well. If you are getting ready to do a presentation or a speech, make sure to listen to this episode. I am really excited to have Barbara here with me today. Barbara Barna Abel is a multimedia communications coach, creative advisor, talent and executive development expert, and the host of the award-winning Global Top 10% podcast, Camera Ready and Able, exploring the intersections of media change and personal growth. She knows that a zombie apocalypse is scary, but speaking on camera does not have to be. Her mission is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life to make an impact on the world. Her clients include global corporations, TV networks, founders, C-suite executives, entrepreneurs, innovators, celebrities, authors, and young creatives. She started her career in the music business before shifting to television, and she continues to develop and cast shows across platforms. Her credits include Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, What Not to Wear, The RuPaul Show, and Page Six TV. Barbara has a well-respected eye for talent and has discovered or gave early breaks to Adam Richman, Amy Schumer, Carson Kressley, Chrissy Teigen, Clinton Kelly, Jake Tapper, Jeff Probst, Sarah Haynes, Ted Allen, and Wayne Brady. She's also the author of How to Get Your Foot in the Door, Television Hosting and Presenting, a step-by-step guide into breaking into television hosting. And she's working on her second book, The Camera Ready Checklist, an easy five-step process for success for anyone communicating through a camera lens. Barbara, I'm so excited to have you here. I am thrilled to be here, Kim Britberg. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I want to jump right in to know, I, you know, you were in music, you were in TV. What was the big shift to say, I want to work for myself. I want to do this on my own. Like so many shifts in my life, it wasn't necessarily my first thought. So I was working at VH1. I was there for 11 years running the talent development department. And there was just a, a management shift completely like from you know top to bottom. So they you know kind of um, nudged me out the door. But at the same time, I also had two small children. And I had, uh, I think my daughter was 
three or four and my you know, son was baby just one. And so, um, cause I know you also speak to a lot of working moms, a lot had to do with the stresses in my life and balancing going to my job and wanting and to be the mom I want to be. And I discovered that running my own business a lot gave me hours more per day with my kids. I worked more and longer, but I worked my schedule, right? So I, you know, I would a little bit at weekends and this and that at night, but I had quality of life that I wasn't going to have if I was in Manhattan every day. Oh, so do you, do you found that once you're working for yourself, you actually ended up working more? Is that consistent over time? Yes. I think that is for many solopreneurs to be true. But on the other hand, it was also great because I could go on field trips. There's so many things they could do. And I remember, I don't know if anybody complains about this anymore, you know, being attached to devices, but it was controversial in the beginning. But to me, you know, what started with my BlackBerry and then became my iPhone was the greatest thing that ever happened because then I could, you know, be working at a hockey game on a soccer field at play rehearsal, whatever that was, you know, in line waiting you know, for teacher conferences, whatever it was, it gave me a flexibility that I wouldn't have if I was chained to my desk. So that was actually really fantastic. What was the scariest part of deciding to go on your own? You know, I actually had to pause and think about that because there was just tremendous momentum around it. And I was really working on instinct. I mean, now I would have done things a little bit differently if I knew then what I know now, but I didn't have a business card. I didn't have anything. I just sort of propelled forward and I kind of hung my shingle and the phone started ringing. And back then it was about phones ringing. It was that long ago. I mean, it literally did. And I was off to the races and I didn't stop for like three or four years because I also had the benefit. This isn't going to happen to most people. I was the only person in New York doing what I was doing. And I had two counterparts in LA. Timing was incredible. It was really on my side. How long have you been doing it? How long have you been running your own company? I have been running my own company for 22 years. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So talk to me about the, I was laughing at, I know Barbara's worked with a lot of celebrities. Like, what would you say are the similarities between, you know, working in the past with celebrities and working with, I'd say, regular people or running your own business, being a working mom? One of the things you learn is that everybody's vulnerable. And that's one of the reasons I actually, you know, working with celebrities, whether or working with executives, um, anybody that comes, you know, through my door, one is something that everybody has in common for me is the desire to make an impact in the world. I tend to attract those people and wanting to make an impact is really important to me. And it's also to say that that doesn't have to be something that feels so monumental. Like if, if I'm never going to win a Nobel prize, I don't count. I mean, cause to me, t- teachers are incredibly impactful. Caregivers are incredibly impactful. So it's just understanding how we impact others every day, you know, being a really great realtor and making someone's experience through something so emotional better, that's deeply impactful. You know, uh, b- being a nice person at the DMV would be amazingly impactful for many, many, many people. So that's one through line. Absolutely. The other is that so many vulnerabilities are universal. doesn't matter how famous you are. If you're transitioning in a skill or trying something new, that could be really, really scary. And so when we think about transitions from, you know, legacy media to quote unquote new media or digital or having to transition into doing social platforms, this caused enormous anxiety for people who were like, you know, brand name talent because they still had to jump in and do something different. They had to interact differently with the technology. 
audiences were shifting. So that's pretty universal. And then I also joke, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, it's, you know, starting in the music business, and I started in the 1980s. So it was still like a really crazy time in music. And not only working music, but then also with film stars working in a talent agency, I discovered by the time I had kids, that celebrities had prepared me for toddlerhood. And if I wish then I had understood to turn to people going, are you tired? You know, like, is your blood sugar low? Do you need a snack? Because that's really, you start to learn with kids. Like, you know, that's your immediate check was like, oh, that's why they're so cranky and difficult. They're hungry. And, like, and by the way, that became codified later when we started talking about people being hangry. I was like, I get it. I totally get it. It's so funny. <laughs> I, I, I stopped managing a team when my daughter was like two. And so I, I think about it. It's like, I'm not sure how, if I would have been so great at managing a team once I had kids, because I feel like all of your support and mentorship is like, I loved mentoring people when I had a team. But like, now that I have kids, I'm kind of like, I love coaching their soccer team. And like, I don't know that I could mentor 10 humans or 20 humans at a time. And also my children. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I started working for myself basically when my son was two. So when my daughter was two. So, you know, we'll see. Okay. Barbara, you are such an expert in your field. I'm really, really excited for our listeners to learn from you. So I would love your advice to prepare for a keynote or a big presentation. What's your, what's the framework or the advice you give people? I always begin with a couple of things. Well, one and this really dovetails into the work that you do creating video, Kim, is it's like your speech, your keynote, your TED Talk, it's one idea. One, not seven ideas. It's not everything you've ever thought. It's one idea. So you start with like, what's my big idea? Is that step one? Step number two is what's your ending? What's the destination of your conversation? What's the takeaway? What does this lead me to? So you start with the beginning. Step number two is the ending. And then it starts to write itself kind of, because then it becomes, how do we get from point A to point B? And then typically a framework around that is just going around the law of three is start with a framework of like, what are the three key points I want to make? And once you get good at that, you could have five points if you wanted to, but it's really understanding how much information a human can process and what we're going to hear. And then also understanding the power of repetition, which I think you and I have spoken to about before, but it really begins with understanding what's my big idea? What's going to be the takeaway for the audience? What do I want them to you know, know and feel from this? And then also asking yourself, is there going to be a call to action? So let's start there. The other thing I always remind people is to do something very simple. It's called mind the gap. And the gap is goal, audience, platform. And so understand what your goal is and your goals are going to shift because sometimes when you're speaking, your goal is to sell books. Sometimes your goal when you're speaking is just to raise, is to raise brand awareness. Sometimes your goal is to drive people to show up to an event or to buy into some big idea, you know, like as a politician, let's say, or an activist. So you understand you're really clear on what your goal is. And then you ask yourself, well, who's the, who's the audience I'm speaking to? And what is the platform I'm using to speak to them? Because that could be, uh, you know, like as we're talking today on a podcast and also via a digital platform, it can be, you know, via phone call, it could be on stage, it can be one-on-one. You know, when you think about it, the same thing applies actually in a job interview. So it's like, how am I delivering this and who am I talking to? So because your information is typically not going to shift, your core messages and what you stand for and who you are and what you believe in does not change, but your audiences do. So you adapt how you deliver your message based on the audience. And uh, sometimes a really good example to be is like, if you're going to go out and talk about what you do to a group of teenagers or school kids, 
versus a group of your peers. Your language, your cadence, even the way you dress is going to change. And we see that with politicians all the time, right? Certain situations, they'll be wearing, you know, suits and ties or sport coats. And then there's always the shots of, you know, wearing rolled up sleeves and some fleece because we're doing our thing at the Iowa State Fair. And so we adapt to our audiences and our platforms. And what that means on a practical level for people is, for instance, in the digital and how we're speaking today, it's very intimate. And so we're on camera, we're even closer. The cameras are close. We lean in. It's, it's tends to be extremely conversational when you're on legacy television, which means, you know, linear, like a broadcast, the, the camera is much farther away and the distance between, you know, you and the audience is further. Um, when you think about it, is somebody going to be watching this on television or they're going to be watching it on a small screen, like a handheld and how close is their face going to be to that screen? So you take in all those things. Cause that gets into like, uh, what's the, how we connect with the platform. I love the the gap, the goal audience platform, because I think it's so applicable, A, in public speaking, because it, it really sets you as like, if you're giving a speech to these five people in this room versus that thousand people in that room or on camera, really like working backwards. I love the idea of working backwards because sometimes Me it's too. overwhelming. It's also could feel overwhelming. You look at your blank sheet of paper or your Google slide and it's empty and you're like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I feel that a lot of people feel that like, where do I even begin? So I love that framework of, well, where do you want to go? And then goal audience platform, like, how are you getting there? And the framework of there's one overall thing is also helpful and breaking it down into three because it becomes more manageable than like, what's all the information I'm going to give to these people? It's too much. A thousand percent. And to your point, it actually also helps you to stop and check in with yourself and go, am I delivering on my promise? Because here's my big idea. Here's my thesis statement. And, you know, and that may not come in till, you know, the end of paragraph two, because you may start with a story or some device that we use to connect with our audiences. But we, we introduce what that big idea is and we want to refer back to it. But as you're creating your content, you're always asking yourself, am I delivering on that? Because that's what your promise is at the end. That's why, you know, you have to get there. And if it's, that's not working through your development process, then you're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to shift this. Maybe I haven't worded my big idea correctly, or maybe my big idea isn't really what this is actually all about. And then on a structural level, I'm super lo-fi. And so I just created, you know, a word template that I use that I create so that it literally has sections where, you know, it's like big idea goes here personal anecdote, you know, and then it literally has, you know, ending. And so you just start kind of plugging in this information. So to your point, so that even that blank page has some, you know, cells or sections in it. So even then it doesn't begin out as completely blank. It has a couple of words and some direction and prompts. You're like, okay, I have somewhere to start. I have a question about the big idea. How do you not psych yourself out when thinking, is this a big idea? You know, sometimes it can feel like how incredibly earth shattering is this? Or is it more like you're teaching somebody about this thing? It's new to them. It's something that you know. Beautifully said. So uh, I appreciate that because I got hung up even funny little side anecdote when I was becoming certified as a coach. And I got hung up on the term word game changer because they toss those as, you know, it's pretty coachy to get around and say, you're a game changer. And I was like, we're not game changers. I mean, Steve Jobs was a game changer. I'm not a game changer. It literally stopped the training and we spent two hours like walking me through how everybody's a game changer because it goes back to my thing about how people, anyone can be a person of impact. Everyone has the potential to be a leader. Uh, So we bring it back down into very human scale. 
And then I was like, oh, I see. I could change the game for a client. Got it. Thank you. Very humbling and really, really important lesson. So it is a reminder that your big idea, it's the big idea to you. It doesn't have to be earth shattering. And by the way, I'm a card carrying believer in simple is really good. Simple and direct. We don't have to make things fancy and confusing. That's not really helpful. But also, there are people who need to hear it from you. And often we're surprised, or this has happened to me, honestly, where I think if I've thought it, I assume everybody else knows it already. And it's through life I've learned like, oh my gosh, it's also into my thing about tapping into your superpowers and understanding what's the value that you bring. Because you may connect dots or see the world or have a perspective on something that everybody is already talking about, but you add a little something that no one else had tapped into. You're like, that's fantastic. Like, I think you do that with your work, Kim, and in, in helping people to create video and to communicate better and the things that you do on stage. I mean, I feel the same way about what I do as a communications coach. It's like, there are certain laws of communication, but you are communicating it to an audience that needs to hear it from you. And you're saying it in a way that they haven't heard it before. And suddenly they're going, oh my God, I get it. And you're allowing me to get over my fear and go do this thing and grow my business and have an impact. And that's wonderful. You're tapping into your superpowers and you're delivering value and you're honoring your calling. It's great. Right. And I think that's something that I see with a lot of my video clients and my strategy clients is really adjusting their mindset and mine when I started speaking publicly to saying, I am helping people who are interested in what I'm teaching. So it's saying, actually, the people I'm talking to probably don't know these things. I'm not teaching my peers. Like this is not a conference where you're teaching your peers or this is not a video for like, the person sitting next to you. Like it's for the people who want to learn from you or work with you. And so I think it's an adjustment of saying, this is new to some people. This is interesting to the people. And those people are your ideal clients. And I think that that's helpful. And now I have a question about what are your, what's your advice for weaving in personal stories into speeches? I know that a lot of people, we see it, other people do it. Like, is there a trick or a rule or guidance on how to weave in personal stories? I never like the word trick, by the way, just to me, because it implies deceit. Hack, tips, guidance, advice, counsel. <laughs> no, but I know where you're coming from. The question I always ask is, does it add value? Is it universal? A big thing that we also discover too is sometimes it's not helpful when we're going through it necessarily. Where our stories become helpful is when we're on the other side and we can look back and we have perspective and we can articulate what we learn from it. So our stories are our own. But the question really is, is one, is it you know relevant to what we're doing? Is it you know, relevant in this conversation to this you know speech or talk or whatever you're delivering? So that's one. Uh, or is it just like some random rabbit hole or you know segue? Two, what do you have to say about it? But it's really about the universality. And so I meant like, so if your story about like, you know, that first time you get up or the first time you make a video and how scared you were, is that's pretty universal. That was your own experience, but experiencing fear is universal. The first time that we have a big win or, you know, to me, it felt so related when you talk about the story about, you know, being in the hospital after giving birth to your son or your daughter, you know, and like checking, you know, your messages or emails. It was like, Okay, that's like working mom universal. And so that's the that that's where we understand what is the value of our personal stories. And and again it goes back to the first thing it was like what's the point and like what's the takeaway from this? Cuz if you're just sharing to have a confessional, like we're not here for group therapy. <laughs> so and that has its own place in life. But you know what I mean? Like if you're just like sharing to share, it's important that you have perspective on what you're sharing and understanding the providing the value to others. I love that. And and by the way, I have worked with Barbara 
for my speeches. She is my secret weapon, not so secret because I just said it out loud. But um, uh, Barbara is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has helped me, you know, go from blank Google slide to full Google slide and with confidence and crushing it, mm-hmm. as you can see on Instagram.com slash Kim Pritford, um, with all my videos <laughs> from my speeches. But uh, you inspire me daily. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet of you to say. One of the things I talk about and people talk about in general is authenticity and relatability and how that's really a huge part of it. And I think it took me a while to shift out of like, I was buttoned up media executive and you should work with me because I know all of this stuff. But I think really my career has, my self-employment, solopreneur, business owner career has been supercharged by being more of real Kim. And what does that mean for me personally? That means the Kim that used to do improv comedy in her 20s and is actually loose that is the Kim that is very knowledgeable, but is not that buttoned up and is like real. And I think it's taken me a while, but it it takes all of us a while to sort of pull out the parts of us that are inherent to us and showcase that in ways that let other people know us better. What do you advise people about how to do that? Like authenticity is so important. I think it's really, really important for video, for public speaking, for presentations. How do you advise people to tap into the authentic part of themselves and help them, I guess, be more relatable? I love this question. So I'm a biz- list maker. This is where the coaching side comes in to the media coaching is to actually identify what those attributes are. Like, how do you define what is authentic about you and who you are? Because one, your subconscious drives everything that you do. That's just a fact. And so if you don't tell your brain where it needs to go, it's very hard to go there. And so even though you may have the conscious desire to show up in one way, your subconscious and those messages are going to override it, um, which may mean like, I want to go out and be loose and funny. But if you haven't prepared for this and really thought it through and identified what that means, the old corporate side that's going to be like, don't do that, can't say that, is actually going to show up and kind of shut you down. So one, you have to identify that. There's actually a tool I have, and it's on my website or somebody can email me that is a really great assessment into tapping into what are your strengths and superpowers in a way that it's identifies what the world values about you. So you can go do more of that instead of trying to be someone that you are not. And that's where another big, one of my messages is trying not to get stuck in the shoulds because that shows up so much in our spaces, right? I should do this. I should be this. I should show up in this way. And that's where we get stuck because that's not emotionally helpful, but it's, that is kind of the essence of inauthenticity is I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not because my, I have all these messages and I believe I should be this other person. So one, to tap into your authenticity, you need to identify what that is. Then going back to what I harp on all the time is your value and the value to the audience, mind the gap, because there are aspects of our authentic selves that are wonderful and contribute depending on what the setting is and who we're talking to. And there are other times where that might be irrelevant or actually undermine what we're doing. So, you know, part of my personality, I have a natural playfulness, right? So depending on who I'm talking to, that's really, really helpful. And it gets sprinkled in, by the way, it's not necessarily what I'm leading with. But if I'm working with kids, I'm going to amp up, you know, so I kind of think about it as an as a recipe. And it's like, I'm going to, you know, we're going to put more playfulness into the recipe today. But, you know, if I'm going in to do, I don't even know, because I don't, you know, when I do, you know, quote, unquote, corporate stuff or work with professional organizations, I tend to work much more in the creative space. And I work with startups and a little bit more innovative companies that are around risk and are not necessarily uh, working in traditional spaces. So I had, there's a lot more latitude. If you want to go to the button up trainer, you could call somebody else. But I think you understand what I'm getting at is you understand 
I can, you know, cry at the drop of a hat at certain commercials or certain kinds of movies. That side of me really does not need to show up during your training. Like that's not helpful. So that's what I mean. Understand is like understanding who am I authentically? What matters to me? What do I stand for? What do I believe in? And then, then understanding what's the value in the setting. Nobody, like, again, this comes up a lot. You know, nobody needs to know that I got in an argument with one of my kids. That authentically happened, but it's really not helpful in the situation. I could talk about it later sometime if I'm trying to be, quote unquote, relatable to say that, yes, I share these human experiences with you, but I have to be really mindful. Is it helpful to the people I'm trying to reach? Because it's not about me. It's about the work that I do to serve my clients and my audience. And I'd love to shift gears into advice for being on camera. I don't know if that's Mm. always the same. It's not always the same. I know it's not always the same. What are your tips for someone who's trying to be confident on camera? I think that we share a lot of these similar tips, Kim, because the first thing is, again, you know, know what your goals are, right? And they don't have to be lofty, but it's just, you know, well, here's one. It's like, I want to become good on camera. You have to define actually what that means. Like, how will you know when you're good? What does that look like to you? Where do you want to end up? And then also understand this, okay, that's a journey and a process. And one of the ways you can, you know, to define that, to be helpful, it's like, you may look at people on TV as like, I want to to communicate, you know, with the ease and confidence of Gail King, who I just think is fantastic, right? It's like, I'd love to just be as, as, and as versatile as Gail, that I could, you know, talk to foreign, you know, leaders and heads of state, and then, you know, be dancing with Cory Booker at Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey. It's like, I, that's to me just sounds fantastic. And then, so then, you know, you're going to back into like, okay, well, what needs to happen to make that happen? And so then you're really clear on on where you're going and you can actually look at, you know, benchmarks and inch stones and milestones as you're on your journey. But the big thing is you have to practice. So, and that's in the privacy of your own home and just a little bit because the beginning is so self-conscious and so self-judgmental. So you just have to allow for that and then get through, then you can become like an athlete, right? Athletes are always looking at game tape. Performers are always looking at game tape and, and it's about not you know, 180 degree improvement, right? We look at it's incremental. It's like, look at like as if it's a dimmer switch. It's just like, okay, if I'm at a five, what does it take to get to a six? Because one, it's like when we're just starting out and then it's just learning a new skill, but then it does become about incremental mastery. And it's like, what are the little tweaks that I do to constantly get better? But the big thing is practice. If you want to be on camera, practice on camera. What do you do when people say, I cannot watch myself. It's like too horrible for me. I can't. How do you help them grow when they refuse to watch the game tape? Well, one, that's when the coaching comes in and we start to work through, well, so what's coming up for you? What's your gremlin saying to you? You know, is there something we can unpack here to get into, to release? Because that's really shame driven. That's heavy. That's, that's where seriously the coaching comes in. And then the other thing too, is like, if your goal is this, whatever that is, like we have to go deliver a product, we're launching a thing. You have to ask yourself, what is more important? You know, sitting in my fear the end of my life. I mean, I'm so glad that I gave into my fear or am I so glad that I worked through this challenge and I grew and exceeded sales expectations, made the world a better place by launching, you know, my book, my product, whatever that was. But that, that is where we get really into coaching. Cause it's to say, it's like, you're not going to get where you want to go if you refuse to do this. So we talk through what's the, what's the resistance? Why is this coming up? How does this feel physically in your body? And then a lot of times it goes back to, yes, when I was five-year-old, you know, so-and-so shamed me and I'm carrying this around. It's right. It's, but I mean, the other thing too goes back to those are universal stories. It's a very rare person who only heard you're fantastic their whole life. Which also isn't good for you anyway. You're fantastic your whole life is not that helpful either. 
If that's all, that's a great point. (laughs) And you know what? I was listening to a really wonderful talk recently, and it really framed it beautifully when they said, if you're physically developing your body, you develop muscles because when you work with resistance, and I'm like, of course, like, and I'm a big fan of using resistance band, which by the way, working mom's best friend, because they, they actually work. You only need like 15 minutes a day and you can take them anywhere. Just saying, but, um, and then made me realize it's like, so the only way we grow as humans is by the same thing as that muscle and encountering resistance. Like if everything is smooth sailing to your point, we become like jello, like we lose, we have no muscle tone and we become weak. And I was like, Ooh, that's so good. A hundred percent. And so funny, by the way, those resistance bands, I've had like a hundred resistance bands of all different colors from all the physical therapy in my life. But that's a side note. You know, this speech, I gave a keynote last year, which I worked with Barbara on and I traveled to Orlando for the women's real estate investment conference. And it was my four step process to overcome fear. And it's about what we were just talking about is I felt scared to put myself on camera. I felt scared to have a podcast, even though I had all the training, so much more training than anyone else. I'm a trainer. I'm an executive producer of content. And I weighed the desire versus the fear. And I did what Barbara and I were just talking about is I said to myself, where is my career going to be in two years if I keep hiding? I'm hiding from clients. I'm hiding from the camera is hiding from clients. So I'm only hurting myself if I'm letting the fear keep me down. And I had to just really put on a scale. It's like those scales of justice. One is desire and one is fear. And I had to make the desire outweigh the fear. And that's what pushed me on camera. And it's been an incredible turnaround. Like my business has literally tripled. And so I think that it's such a great way to say, okay, if you're really feeling that fear and it's so, so deep, like go deeper. Why is it there? And how much do you want to escape that fear? How much, not escape the fear. How much do you want to face the fear and handle the fear and tackle it? Because is where you want to go a place you really, really want to be? Because if it is, it's totally worth it. The other thing too, is there's a great book I love called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Shel Hamstetter. He's like the OG of this category. I mean, he started writing in the 60s and people thought he was a little daffy. And now brain scans and science have shown that he was actually right all along. And one of the things he points out is there's no motivation without motive. This goes deep. So it's understand what matters. Okay. So both as working mothers, like I got to tell you, it's like feeding my family, paying my mortgage. Those are really powerful motivators that would be like, okay, I got to pay for college. So I have to get over my fear. And so I think that that's another going like a deep into another layer. It's like, what does it really mean to you? And sometimes it can be lighthearted, like losing weight is hard for most people all the time. But suddenly, you know, going to a 30th high school reunion can be the most amazing, right? Because now you have motive. But I mean, like it has to mean something to you internally. It can't be a should. Like you should care about paying for college. You know, it's like if it doesn't connect with you, it doesn't connect. But you find ways. It's like, does this have emotional resonance with me? Yes. Okay. Now I'm willing to do what it takes. And then the thing that you teach so well too, Kim, is like the baby steps. Like don't overwhelm yourself with technology and lofty goals. Just like, what's the one thing I could do today? I could turn on my camera and I could just record myself making dinner. And walking myself through like how to do something I know how to do. Record myself wrapping Christmas presents. And even if that doesn't go anywhere, even if you don't post that anywhere, you're getting more comfortable seeing yourself on camera. Exactly. I I thought the thing about, you know, working for yourself, like this year has been incredible, but I've definitely been working more. And I thought, oh, you know, working a job, like going back to a regular job, you'd have a good salary, steady. I'm like, no, my motivation is this summer, I got so much incredible time with my kids. I had so much 
true relaxation, no one telling me where to be. I still worked, but I was not beholden to any boss. And that's my motive to the motivation. And so, all right, on that note, Barbara, this was so amazing. How can people find you, listen to you, get your downloads? Oh, thanks for asking. I'm very, very easy to find. So my website, Able Intermedia, A-B-E-L-I-N-T-E-R-M-E-D-I-A.com. I'm easy to contact there. You can listen to my podcast, Camera Ready and Able. Available. I'm still on X, if you can believe it. But Instagram is Barbara underscore Beast underscore Able. And I often have to point out, I didn't choose the underscores really, but there's a Belgian uh, mystery writer of the same name. And she got there first. So don't follow her. (laughs) (laughs) No, do she actually, wait, I'm just going to say Anne Hathaway is coming out in a movie adaptation of one of her books this year, next year. So follow both of you. (laughs) The Barbara Ables. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Barbara. This was excellent. Thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating. It's much appreciated and really helps. And share with your friends if you think of it. If you're interested in media training or help with career strategies, please shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com. And be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. Camera.